0: I want to take just a moment to introduce our guest preacher this morning, Aaron Shirock and his wife Susan. and One of their daughters is here with us this morning, um, and we're very, very thankful for their uh, coming up from the Orlando area to be with us and to worship with us and for Aaron to preach. Uh, Aaron graduated from Master Seminary back in 2002, right? And then uh, you guys went to Cameroon, where you guys worked on the missions field and worked in Bible translation with Wycliffe Bible Translators. And then you guys came back in, is it 2016 or 17? 18? 2014. And then you started teaching actually at TMS and with, um, uh, is it the Tyndall? Tyndall Institute for Bible Translation. And so you you guys kind of get an idea of what Aaron's heart is. Uh, in Bible translation, and, and teaching about it, and uh, equipping, and, and in 2020, you guys made the move to come here to Florida, and you're working with Unfolding Word, and uh, I, I love their, their uh, I guess you could call it their motto that they have here on their website. Just listen to, to their motto. It says, the church in every people group, the Bible in every language wonderful, wonderful statement there. So um, I'm going to turn it over to Aaron now uh, to bring the word of God. So Aaron.
1: Great. Thank you, Phil. And I'd like to thank Pastor Brandon and the elders for letting me um, Inviting me or, or letting me, I was pestering Brandon, <laughs> uh, when could I come and speak? And so um, thank you for, for this opportunity to be with you and the privilege to open God's word and to teach from it this morning. And let me um, say a prayer as we begin this time, because as we were just singing, we want the Lord to minister through his word to our hearts. There's nothing I can say that could convince you of anything. I I really, I did my best. It's all here. But it's really the Spirit, right, that will work through what I attempt to do. And so let's ask the Lord to bless this time. Heavenly Father, we um, just praise you. Uh, We thank you for your great love for us. You created us, and despite our sin and rebellion, you showed your great mercy to us through Christ. And each day you give us strength, to praise you. You give us guidance by your spirit. You give us your word. Help us, Lord, to honor you with all that we have received, to give back um, just a token. The most that we could give would be just a, a mere token, yet we know that you are pleased with even that. So help us, Lord, to honor you. Help me, Lord, now to say the right words that would minister to these brothers and sisters. Even more, we pray that your Spirit would be speaking in their hearts, that they would hear the right thing that they need for today, that they might be encouraged and love you more and serve you more faithfully and build each other up in the Word. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was on a a summer morning in August 1800 in Wales, United Kingdom. In this little hamlet, there was a girl named Mary Jones. And she had been for six years saving up money to buy a Bible, and she had just heard that there were Bibles available in the town of Bala, and so she convinced her mom to let her walk the 28 miles to Bala to get her Bible, and um, she had heard from Pastor Thomas Charles. He was the pastor in their area. He'd come through and preach and teach. He was back in the days when they had horses and circuit riders. And so he'd passed through their hamlet and told her that there were Bibles. And so she set out to get her Bible. And when I think of Mary Jones and that picture of her walking 28 miles to get a Bible that she saved for for six years, that says to me, devotion to God's Word. And that's what I want you to think about tomorrow. That's what I hope you'll leave here with, is a desire to be more devoted to God's Word. That's that's the encouragement that I hope to leave with you this morning. That that devotion to God's Word would increase in your heart, that that would flow into a desire to live a life characterized by your love for the Word, a love that consists of reading God's Word, studying it, preaching it to yourself, making it your prize, and that overflowing in all aspects of your life. That's my hope this morning. Now, um, we all need to be encouraged in this. We all need to be encouraged to be more and more devoted to God's word. And no one knew this better than the apostle Paul. And so he wrote about this to his disciple, his spiritual son, Timothy. So let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. That's the passage we'll be looking at today. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And in this passage, we'll see how Paul writes to Timothy to encourage him to be devoted to the Word, devoted to reading the Word, preaching the Word, and teaching the Word. And as you're turning to 1 Timothy chapter 4, um, you probably remember that this isn't the first letter. Well, there's actually two letters that Paul writes to Timothy. And Paul has a long relationship with Timothy. You might remember that in the book of Acts, we find that Paul meets Timothy on his first missionary journey and leads him to the Lord. And then on his second missionary journey, Paul comes back through Timothy's area and meets him again and invites him to join him. And from that time, for roughly the next 15 years, they're a team. So Timothy is Paul's interim pastor, his assistant, his representative, and most of all, he's his spiritual son. And so they work closely together. And it seems that Paul was probably in Rome when he wrote 1 Timothy. He may have just been released from his imprisonment in Rome. And he's writing to Timothy, who is in Ephesus at a church where he is serving as the pastor of that church. And 1 Timothy, when as I started to read this, I don't know how it is for you, but sometimes I just drop in and I, study verses, and I never step back and look at a whole book. But if you step back and look at 1 Timothy, Paul is like on the edge of his chair as he's writing this book. He's really intense, and he's got this urgent message. Timothy, fight for the faith. Fight for the faith. You've got to defend your church. There's this urgency in what he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy. And let's look we see the purpose for his letter, how he summarizes it in chapter 3. It's In your Bible, it might just be the next page over. Uh, chapter 3, if we look at verses 14 through 16, or 14 through 15, here's Paul, and, and you can even hear, sense a little bit of the urgency as he's writing this. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, so he's like, Paul, um, I, I want to be there now, but in case I can't get to you, in case I'm delayed, I need to. you need to know this. You may, he says, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. So he wants Paul, uh, Paul wants Timothy to be reminded of how they are to behave in church. And in particular, he wants Paul, uh, Paul wants Timothy to fight for the good faith and defend his flock and keep them on the right path. And so when we look at chapter 4, I'll read verses um, 11 through 16 just to give us a feel for this section. We're going to really focus on verse 14, but to get a flow for this section. And you'll just see the urgency in Paul as he's telling Timothy what to do. Command and teach these things, starting in verse 11. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the b- believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy through the council of elders, uh, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Don't devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching persist in this for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers so there's a there's an intensity in what paul is writing he's coming but this is so urgent he's got to send word ahead first so in case he's delayed peter knows what uh, timothy knows what to do so let's look specifically at Verse 14, I want us to dig into this verse because here I think uh, is just a beautiful and convicting verse that sets out beautifully what it means to be devoted to God's word. So verse 14, he says, um, I'm sorry, 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching." So let's, let's unpack this, and we're going to do it with a series of questions. So you probably see it there in your bulletin. We're going to ask three questions that just, as I was studying this, they just jumped out of the text at me. First, what are these tasks? What does Paul really want Timothy to do when he says public reading of Scripture? What does he want him to do when he says exhortation? What does he want him to do when he says teaching? And then second, what's the relationship between these three things? Are these just three things he does during the week or are they in an order? Um, Which one's most important? Um, Paul loves triplets. He loves to give three things. So what's the relationship between them? And then the third thing we'll look at is why is reading important? Why is reading aloud important? The public reading of scripture. I think this is a good thing to remind ourselves of because um, reading is disappearing in our culture. And also, we, it's good to take ourselves back to Paul and Timothy's situation and be reminded of the truths about reading and the public reading of Scripture. So let's look now at the first question. What are these three things? Now, if you look at um, different translations, you'll find that they don't all agree on translating reading. If you have a New King James or a King James, you'll see it has simply reading there. It doesn't say public reading it's a, or public reading of Scripture. It simply says reading because in the Greek, there's one verb, reading. Now, some translations will say public reading or public reading of Scripture or reading Scripture in the church. So why this um, variation? Well, there's a big difference between what we Think when we hear reading today and what Timothy thought when he, he heard reading back then. So think, think of where we are today. When someone says, I'm reading, do you first think they're reading out loud or reading quietly to themselves? Yeah, yeah, you're quietly to yourself. Most reading we do, we do quietly. And when we normally read, um, Do we read for others or do we read for ourselves? We usually read for ourselves. Um, Unless you're an elementary school teacher or a librarian where all day you're reading to groups, um, normally we read to ourselves. And finally, what do we read? Do we just read one thing or do we read a variety of things? We read all kinds of stuff on all kinds of medium, right? We have books, we have iPhones, we have billboards. We read things for work, we read the Bible at home, we read children's literature, we read all kinds of things. Now, for Paul and Timothy in the first century AD, it was very different. When they read, they usually read aloud. You read aloud. And you usually read for the benefit of a group. You might be the town, remember the town crier, you know, you go out and you announce things. So the idea of the pastor and his study reading quietly, that's not what Paul and Timothy are thinking about. And then finally, what did you read? Usually Jews, when they heard read, they thought of one thing, Scripture. They thought of Scripture. So that's why these translations are very, they're very right on. It's appropriate to put reading Scripture in there for the English reader today. Because we might think of devotionals and my daily bread, and all these great things we can read every day. but that's not what we should be devoted to reading. That's not what Tim uh, Paul is thinking. Paul has something very specific in mind. He's saying to Timothy that he wants him to be devoted to reading the scriptures aloud to the believers when they meet for worship. That's what he means. Read the scriptures aloud to the believers when they meet for worship. And so um, we'll discuss this a little more as we're moving along, but Paul isn't actually saying anything new to Timothy. He's actually insisting that Timothy do something that uh, the Jewish people had done for centuries and the, the Christian churches were doing as well that began at the foot of Mount Sinai when they first received written, um, the written word of God. So what does the exhortation mean? So he's supposed to be reading, the public reading of Scripture, meaning Timothy, when you gather with the believers, read it out loud, read the public reading of Scripture, and then he says exhortation. So some translations have preaching as well, exhortation or preaching. So what what Paul is telling Timothy is essentially that you need to be exhorting or appealing to the believers to live in obedience to God's word. So exhorting, the key idea behind exhorting is that you're appealing to people. When the preacher is preaching, he might be teaching at one point, but he might be at certain points appealing to you to change how you live so that you live in obedience to God. That appealing is exhortation, or you could call it preaching. And sometimes it can involve an encouragement. You can exhort people in a, a good way, it could, encourage, it could involve comfort, but it might also involve rebuking or correction. But all of this is appealing to you to change something based on what God's word says. And that's key. So Paul is saying, you need to read God's word, and, but don't stop there. You need to exhort them. They need to change their lives in light of what you just read. And then from there, he goes on to teaching. What does he mean by teaching? So he um, wants, uh, Paul wants Timothy to move from exhorting to actually ensuring that the people understood. So you can appeal to someone to do something, but if they don't understand what you're saying, you don't get the result you want, right? So um, teaching, the heart of teaching is that you're trying to help someone by presenting the truths of scripture in a A careful, systematic, thoughtful way. You try to unpack the ideas and explain them. What's the goal of it? It's to bring them greater understanding of God's word so they can actually change their lives in light of it. So you have to have both. You have to have um, the exhortation appealing to people to change. But if they don't understand what the problem is, you have to explain it. You have to go into the teaching as well. And so you need both of those. In fact, if you look at what Paul writes to Timothy in both First and Second Timothy, you'll see that exhorting or preaching and teaching are often together. Here's, a, here's one example. In First Timothy 6.2, Paul um, shows that these two go together when he says this. Um, those who have, who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good services are believers and beloved. So here's Paul's giving uh, Timothy some instructions. You know, this is what you should tell the people to do. And then he says this, teach and urge these things. Teach and urge these things or teach and exhort these things. So you see how those two go together. You have to teach it. You have to explain it to them but then you have to urge them or exhort them to actually live it out. Those two have to be present. We see a similar thing in 1 Timothy 5.17. Paul writes, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. You labor in preaching and teaching. You don't want just teaching. You don't want just preaching. You need both. Preaching and teaching. So what are the three things that Paul is exhorting Timothy to do? What does it mean when he fleshes out devotion to God's word? It means reading it aloud for the benefit of the whole congregation. It also involves um, exhorting them to live in obedience to it and then teaching them, you know, breaking it apart, break the, the concept apart, explain what salvation is, explain God's character, explain what forgiveness is, whatever the that you're exhorting them to change their lives in respect to, you need, at points, to break it apart and teach it. So that leads us then to our second question. How do these three relate to each other? Now, um, one thing to remember about Paul, and uh, you know he is writing at, as the Holy Spirit is moving him. Yet the Holy Spirit uses us, the Holy Spirit used Paul... And, and used his, um, how would you say it, used his style. The Holy Spirit didn't roll over the New Testament writers and make them all write the same way. You'll see differences in the styles of different New Testament writers. And one thing that's unique, or well, I don't know if it's unique, one thing that's true of Paul is that Paul loves triplets. He loves three things, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is Love, you know, we know this triplet. You know, Paul often talks about faith, hope, and love. And one verse I really love is Romans twelve twelve. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. You know, that's three threes. That's nine. Wow, <laughs> he really went at it there. But in the Greek, it's actually three three three. You know, you can't bring it across in English. You know, some of the poetic things in Scripture. Poetry in general, you can't translate very easily. So in the Greek, it's three words. Rejoice and hope is three in English, too. So that works, you know. Be patient in tribulation. That's also three in Greek. Be constant in prayer. That's also three in Greek. And then you have three of them. So Paul loves threes. And you never know at first what the three are doing. Are they just, is it poetic? Like Romans 12, 12, it has a punch to it that you've got three threes. Or is it maybe like 1 Corinthians 13, 13, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So he ends with love because he's going to say something more about it. So what is it here in 1 uh, Timothy 4, 13? What are these three things? Well, I think in this case, what, what we'll see is that there's an order of importance, but also like a sequential order. This is like the order you're actually supposed to do it. You know, Faith, hope, and love, you don't do it in that order. So I can't love you now because first I have to hope. No, you, you don't do that. But with this, it is. You are supposed to read first, and then you teach, uh, exhort, and then you teach. So the first thing I think Paul is bringing out as we think about how these relate is first that they all should be present when believers meet. So Paul isn't thinking these are three things to do over the week. No, these are three things that believers do when you meet. So this is part of corporate worship. And this shouldn't be new, right? I mean, you do this. You know, you had public reading of Scripture before I came up, and then I read Scripture, and now I'm trying my best to exhort you and teach you. So this is all part of worship. But also, Paul's affirming that there's an order here there's an order in which these things take place. And as I said earlier, this wasn't something new that Paul was telling Timothy. This was a part of their pattern that they had seen over the centuries. And one good example of this where we actually see these three things is in Acts 13. So in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey and they're in Pisidian Antioch and they go into a a synagogue on the Sabbath and they're going to be part of the worship in the synagogue. And what happens? Well, it says in verse 13, uh, sorry, verse 15 of chapter 13 of Acts, after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, to Paul and Barnabas, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Now, that is really key, what that leader of the synagogue said. He said, do you have any word of encouragement? That encouragement and exhortation are the same word. And that's what Paul is keying into. Because in the synagogue, they read the scriptures aloud, and then they had the encouragement, exhortation, preaching. It's all the same. So we see it right there in that passage. And so what does Paul do? He gets up and he preaches in the synagogue. And then when the service is over... What does he do? Those who are really interested and want to know more, they go with Paul and Barnabas and they spend more time together. And there's more um, exhortation. It says exhortation in the passage in verse 43. It says that they were speaking with them and urging them. So urging them would be the exhortation, the preaching. Um, Speaking with them might be the teaching. He doesn't say that they explicitly taught and urged, but it would be hard to imagine that they spent time together and they weren't teaching them. So we see then that you have the reading of the word, you have the preaching, and then Paul and Barnabas took people aside and they did more urging, and pre- urging, exhorting, and teaching with them. So Paul is not telling uh, Timothy something new in this. He's actually urging him to be faithful in what they had always done. And then a third point is that Paul is affirming that the public reading of Scripture is the first and primary task, and the other two support it. So the public reading of Scripture is first and primary. The other two support it. They, They continue it. They build on it, as it were. So think about it for a moment. Uh, The scripture is authoritative. Remember, one of the solas of the Reformation was um, sola scriptura. The scripture is authoritative. Not the Catholic Church, not the priest. It's scripture that's authoritative. One commentator said, when we read God's word in church, that's the one time that you're guaranteed to hear something true. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I can't guarantee you that everything I say is true but if i read this i can guarantee everything is true this is the truth this is authoritative and everything i say is my human effort to help this and what is it, what is it specifically it's exhorting right and teaching as an as an extension of the primary truth that's here so and this is really what you need right this is what you need so a beautiful verse that speaks to this is Deuteronomy 8.3. Um, this is what Moses um, said as he was speaking to the Israelites and reminding them of what they had just come through, their 40 years in the wilderness. And he says to them in Deuteronomy 8.3, And he humbled you. you know, he's telling them, And God humbled you, Israelites, and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we still live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so every time we meet, we read God's word. And the, the preacher, he is simply what? He's simply a servant of the word. If he serves it well, praise the Lord, we all grow in grace so Paul's command, you know, in as he brings these three together, we see that he wants the believers when they come together to be reading God's word, teaching and preaching, and there's an order to it. And the primacy is on the word of God. So why is it that reading aloud is so important? Let's think about that for a moment. Now, it always surprises me what people will say about reading aloud. I, I, some commentators will say well you know they read aloud back then because people couldn't read and so you had to read aloud and you know nowadays everyone's literate so we don't need to read aloud i'm always struck when i i hear these kinds of reasoning because you see what that person just did they first they claim to know why god said something and then they claim it's not relevant today And so then they undo the clear command of God. You have to be, it it sounds so reasonable at first until you stop and examine it. So why do we do this? Why do you have a public reading of scripture? Why do we exhort you and teach you from scripture? So I put down five reasons for us to think about. And the first, and actually the only one we need, is it was commanded. So in 1 Timothy 4.3, it's commanded. And what Paul is saying goes all the way back to Moses when the law was first given. If we look, for example, at Deuteronomy 31, we see that uh, Moses tells the Levites that they are to read the, the, the law of God to the people of Israel. There's a certain times in the year and in the cycles when they were to do that. And from the time that Moses read the law, To the people at at the foot of Mount Sinai, until Paul's day, um, it was became a regular practice to read the Scripture when God's people came together. So we see this all through Scripture. Um, One example from uh, when Jesus was in Nazareth in Luke four, it says that he went to the synagogue, and they had um, the reading, and he so he stood and read from Isaiah sixty one. And then he sat down and exhorted them. He preached to them. He was very effectively. He moved them so much they wanted to kill him. So that's um, very effective appeal to them. And then you go back earlier. You might remember Nehemiah 8. When the, the people came to Nehemiah and Ezra and they wanted to hear the law read. I'll read you that passage, Nehemiah 8, 1 to 3. At that time, all the people gathered together in the square before the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. On the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could listen and understand. So Ezra read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in front of the men and women and those who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Imagine that. Imagine you all went to Pastor Brandon's house. was like, we need to hear God's word. Please read it to us. And so he gets you all in the backyard, and he starts reading at dawn, and he goes until noon. Um, I'm sure he'd be a he, day he wouldn't forget, right? Um, so this is what happened in, in Jerusalem. And if you read on, you'll see that the people were so convicted by what they read and that they were they were um, weeping, and the the um, priests had to tell them, "No, no, this is a feast time. You know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Don't be weeping right now." So, all through Scripture, we see how God's re- word is read aloud, and even after Paul wrote this to Timothy. In in the 100 years after this command was given, the believers did this. In fact, there was an early church father named Justin Martyr. And around 150 AD, so a 100 years after Paul wrote Timothy, he um, wrote a book. He was defending the Christian faith uh, against the Romans. And so he was trying to explain what Christians do. So he gave this description of what Christians do on a Sunday. And it sounds like today, actually. He said, on the, first, on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place, and the memories of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. And then when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. So he uses a couple of terms that are different. He says the memories of the apostles. What do you think those are? Yeah, the gospels. So he calls them the memories of the apostles, um, and he says they read the the gospels basically, and then they read from the Old Testament. He calls it the prophets, and then there's a reader who reads, and then there is the president. That's probably the elder or the pastor who then exhorts from it and instructs them. It's interesting. He uses the word instruct and he uses the word exhort. So he's got both of them there. So you can see that that they understood what Paul and Timothy were saying. Uh, They understood that when believers come together, you read God's word, you exhort, and you teach. But there's another reason this is so important, which is that the Holy Spirit actually works through the reading of the word. There's, there's a, a example of this in Scripture, Second Kings 22, King Josiah. You probably remember the story. They were re, um, renovating the temple, and they found some scrolls. So they brought them to Josiah, and they began to read them. And what happens? Josiah listens. He listens carefully because he's actually a good king. He's one of the good kings who wants to honor God with his life. And he probably, well, actually, it says in the passage that he had never seen the the law of Moses. He'd never really heard the law of Moses read before because his dad had not been a good king and everything had fallen into, into neglect. And those scrolls had probably been put in a back wall, back room, and maybe that wall was plastered over and remodeled and they put up new idols and everyone forgot about it. Just like um, a couple years ago, they were cleaning a church in England and found an original King James Bible. How did that happen? Well, people just forget and neglect and you plaster over a room and you don't even know that library's there anymore. Well, that was what was happening in King Josiah's period. They were remodeling the temple and as they were um, repairing things, they were finding things and they found these scrolls and they brought them to Josiah. They read them and the spirit, convicted him so powerfully that he he repented there and said, we need to obey this. So the simple reading of God's word can be, um, the spirit can work through it to change someone's heart. A few years ago um, in California at Grace Community Church, there was a guy who came to the morning service. His name was Robert Lagerstrom. And he had AIDS and he was dying. And he'd gone to a friend and said, What do I do? And his friend said, or I have to double-check the story. I think he said to his friend, I want to go to church. And his friend said, go to Grace Community Church on Roscoe Boulevard. And so he went. He didn't know what was going to happen or what to expect, but he went. So he goes to church, comes in, he sits down. And on that Sunday, Pastor John got up and for their Bible reading, on that day, he read Psalm 107. And as he was reading it, verse 7 just grabbed Robert's heart. Now, let me read a couple of the verses. So it says, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul faint within them. But they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. That word, a straight way, the Holy Spirit just grabbed Robert's heart. He did. He said later he didn't think about anything else. He didn't even listen to the sermon. All he wanted to do was go talk to that guy and ask him how do I get on that straight way. He didn't even he didn't listen to the sermon at all. He said <laughs> he was like so focused. And what was that? That was the Holy Spirit convicting him. And he went away that morning a changed man. Why? Because the Holy Spirit works through the reading of God's Word. And finally, um, a fifth reason is that by reading God's Word aloud to the congregation, we are affirming that we are all under God's Word. Everyone, the pastor, the elders, we are all equally under God's Word. In the Old Testament, there was only one group of people who were told that they had to make a personal copy of Scripture and read it regularly. Only one group of people, not the priests, not the prophets, the kings. This is a fascinating verse. In Deuteronomy 17, verse 18, Moses wrote that the future kings of Israel, when they come to the throne, they were to take the law of Moses and make a personal copy not with a photocopier. They had to write it out by hand, right? They have to make their own personal copy. Why? So that they would obey it and read it regularly. And why should they read it regularly and obey it? What's the special benefit to a king? Well, Moses notes there that it would keep them from elevating themselves above their fellow Israelites and encourage them to live in obedience. So if the kings of Israel needed this, we all need it, right? We all need to be reminded that we are equally under God's word. And when the any of you stand up here and read it, and you read what God's word says to the others, you're you can't say I that that's not for me. <laughs> you just read it. Um, you're all equally under God's word, and you're affirming that publicly, and to each other, and that's an important. Um, blessing or benefit of reading God's word aloud. And there's other reasons, but I think those are compelling enough that we need to guard and persevere in this public reading of God's word and making that the basis then for our exhortation and our teaching. So how does this apply to us? Well, I think the first and most obvious is that you, when we gather together, like you do, um, we need to be reading God's word aloud, exhorting and teaching. And so I think it's wonderful what you are doing. I I, I asked Phil, I had a brochure, I had my uh, bulletin from the last time we visited. I looked at it and I saw that you had reading in the order of service. And I remembered from when we were here. So I asked at Phil in an email, like, how do you do it? And he's like, yeah, we're reading through Luke, and we have different people come up and take turns. And I thought, that is great. That is great. That's exactly what you want. And so I would just say, excel still more. That's exactly what you need to be doing. And you know what? There's a blessing. Every time one of you come up here and you read God's word, there's a blessing for you. Did you know that? It's in Revelation 1.3. Look at Revelation 1.3. Before I studied this, I'd read this, I'm sure, and never thought about what it meant. Revelation one three. This is what John wrote by the inspiration of the Spirit. Remember, this is the opening of his letter, and he definitely wants people to read it, right? So what does he say? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So Paul in his letters would will often say, Now when you get this, read it. And read it to the others and have and get the letter I'm sending to Laodicea and read it here. So Paul is more direct and urgent. But John is a little more indirect and a little more polite. So instead of saying read this prophecy, guys, he says there's a blessing on the one who reads. So what, do you, what does he really want? He, This is John's saying, read it, please. But instead of just saying it directly, he he brings out another truth, that we are blessed when we read God's word. We are blessed when we read it to others. And they, you are blessed when you hear it and put into practice what you hear. So just an encouragement to excel still more and be blessed still more. Another... Um, way to apply this is outside of church in your family or at home we need to be devoted to reading god's word even reading it aloud i sometimes i have to read it aloud because if i don't i'm just two verses in and i'm at work i'm talking to my boss about something i don't know if i don't know if you go to work that often but i do um or I'm reading through and all of a sudden I'm five years ago someplace in a conversation. I don't know if you ever do that. I do that all the time. So I read out loud. And you know what the blessing of reading out loud is, especially if it's a psalm or if it's a poetic section? It just comes to life because it's poetry. You're supposed to read it. There's a beauty in this, in the in the structure of it that you really taste when you read it out loud and hear it. So there's a benefit even alone of reading aloud. But it's important that we be devoted to reading. I'm really thankful that my wife loves to read and she's devoted and she follows a calendar, a schedule of reading and um, she encourages me and now this year I'm doing, it's a one year schedule. She's been doing it the last eight years and I'm catching up with her. So this year I'm reading through it and it's wonderful. Because it, it keeps me from spiraling down. Because in the past, like I'll, I'll go to Proverbs and read it for a month. And then I'll say, that was wonderful. Let me read it another month. And then I'll spend months in Proverbs. And that's okay, but there's more to Scripture than Proverbs, right? So it's good to have a plan or to have an approach and have someone to encourage you or encourage someone. So, But we need to be reading God's Word. It needs to be part of our life um, every day. And then another thing to consider, I think for some of us, for some of you, perhaps you're thinking, I don't do this. I mean, years ago, I had a Bible on my desk that had dust on it, because there was a period in my life where I said, I know enough about the Bible, I'll read it tomorrow. I really know the Bible well, I'll read it tomorrow. And that went on until I had dust on my Bible. But um, I thank the Lord that there's no longer dust on my Bible. But some of you, maybe you're at that point where you know the Bible so well, you haven't read it for a few days. And here's, here's a, um, a few verses from Psalm 118 to make your prayer if you are in that place. So Psalm 119, excuse me, verses 33 through 37. So Psalm, I'll read it for you. But I think this is, would, would make a beautiful prayer. If you need to have a hunger in your heart, for God's word. If you need to have an urge to really read it and sink your teeth in it, the psalmist writes, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways I, I like i love that incline my heart and turn my eyes i don't know if you have an iphone i most people have them nowadays right i have an iphone and i put it there on my desk cuz it's also my um my clock my watch right i stopped wearing my watch have you stopped wearing your watch i don't know why i stopped but um, so now I have this iPhone, and I have to have it there to know what time it is, right? But then when it's there, guess what happens? I'm, I, I look at every notice that comes in, and then what happens? Now I'm on Facebook, and then what happens? I just wanted to know what time it is, and it's already 10 minutes have gone by. What's he say? Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, and give me life in your ways. So now I'm trying to make sure my phone is behind me somewhere. Because just just your eyes, it's just an issue of eyes, right? If I put my phone behind me, you know, a couple weeks ago, I went home without my phone. I left it in my office. Why? Because it was behind me. It was just behind me. I couldn't see it with my eyes. Little things like that, we can help guard our our, um, thoughts and keep them on the right things. As he says there, incline my heart to your testimonies. So I would encourage you, if that's where you are, where your eyes are going everywhere, and you're thinking, I know God's word enough, um, you need to sit here and pray with the psalmist and ask the Lord to keep your eyes on the right things and help you dig deep in his word so you actually are feeding your soul. And then a, a fourth application, which is especially... Um, close to my heart is that when I look at this, it's essential that believers have God's Word. Can a church function according to Paul without Scripture? No. A church can't function without Scripture. Believers can't come together, read God's Word aloud, exhort each other, teach and exhort without God's Word. And so that's why... um, my wife and I have been in this ministry of Bible translation for years. And what's, what's fascinating is that you don't have to tell believers this. Believers around the world um, are actually organizing themselves and trying to translate for themselves today. And it's not new. It happened during the Reformation. I'll share a little bit about that at the Q&A at lunch. But even before the Reformation, you may have heard of a guy named John Wycliffe. The, the professor and pastor at Oxford in the Middle Ages, even he realized the sheep need God's word in English and set about translating it. So I think a real clear implication of this verse is that we translate for the sake of the church so that they can actually minister to each other with God's word. And so that's that's a application that's, close to my heart. So what happened with Mary Jones? Did she get her Bible? She walked 28 miles. Well, she got there, it was the evening, it was starting, it was getting a little dark. She got to Pastor Thomas Charles home, knocked on the door. He welcomed her in, sat her down, she was exhausted. And she said, okay, I'm here for my Bible. And he said, your Bible? that they haven't come. And she just broke down in tears. And she was just overwhelmed. She said, where can I go for a Bible? And and, and Pastor um, Charles just tried to calm her and comfort her and said, you know, there's a lady in the church who can keep you for, uh, you know, tonight, just go rest and we'll see what happens tomorrow. Well, guess what happened? Um, the Bibles did arrive. And Pastor Charles gave her three Bibles for the price of one. (laughs) And she was very happy. And in fact, those Bibles that were so precious to her, one of them today is in the archives of the British and Foreign Bible Society in Cambridge, England. The other is at the National Library of Wales. It's considered a treasure of Wales. And school kids go and look at it. And every year they have the Mary Jones walk. People will walk 28 miles remembering her love for the the word and her desire to have it. And so my hope is that we would all today love God's word, desire it even more. May we read it, exhort ourselves and others to live in obedience, seek to understand it better, help others to understand it better, so that we might all together grow in our faith and live in obedience to the word, to the glory of our triune God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come together and read it aloud and exhort each other from it, teach each other. Thank you, Lord, that by the power of your spirit, we can grow in our faith and live lives that are pleasing to you. And we pray, Lord, that we would excel still more in that. For the brothers and sisters here who are faithfully devoted to your word, help them to excel still more. For those who have fallen um, out of the habit of reading the word or who have become distracted, pray that you would stir their hearts to recommit and to spend more time in your word, to feed themselves well in your word and we do pray for those without scripture that you would provide for them lord we pray for the suffering church who have been deprived of their scriptures that you would bring to their memory the truths that they have um, stored away in their hearts that you would comfort them and help them to persevere in their in their difficulties and give them the hope of um, the just the hope of heaven the knowledge that they will be rejoicing one day in your presence with no more tears or suffering. We just thank you, Lord, that you work all things for your glory and that we get to experience that as well in seeing the good things that you do in our life. In Jesus' name.